Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called The DK Project, but it's really The Darren Show. The DK Project is a radio show, but without the radio. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go! Today's episode is brought to you by the Lost Lake Creamery, located in Mound, Minnesota, just off the Dakota Bike Trail, or on the north end of Cook's Bay of Lake Minnetonka in the Lost Lake Channel. 24 flavors, hard-scooped ice cream, open from noon to nine every day. Stop in and see us. Get some ice cream on the way to the lake, or get some on the way home from the lake. Enjoy the podcast. Bruce Valanche. Bruce Valanche. Welcome back to the DK Project. Today's zooming in, we got Bruce the Shark. I uh, coming off a hard Shark Week. No, Bruce Valanche is zooming in, and uh, we're gonna catch up and see what's been going on. Are you on? Are you on Hollyweird? I am in Hollyweird. I am in my Hollyweird man cave. Well, just before we got on the air here, we were talking that you're a uh, Ohio State a Buckeye alum, which we're not gonna hold against you. But uh, I've got a friend who's oh. a, a Buckeye, and. Mm, Maybe if they didn't dominate so much in the on the football field, I would uh, not be so angry. You know, I never really cared about that because, uh, in fact, football was like the enemy because <laughs> all the money went to football. And, yeah. you know, I, I understood it. I was also the editor of the Ohio State Lantern, 50,000 circulation. Well. Uh, so I was big cheese. But Is that how it I all started? Because, because the football was a revenue stream. You know, Ohio Stadium has a, it's 100,000 people. Yeah. And uh, uh, so they the it was a big deal financially for the university. It had but, to be I crazy mean, on any, game day. Any money that would come in would go to like, oh, they need new turf. You know, meanwhile, the theater was in a 108-year-old building, <laughs> and there were – computer banks on the uh the floor above the theater and the floor caved in because it was too too heavy and crashed onto the theater fortunately nobody was there when it happened otherwise you would have known this immediately it would have been like one of the great tragedies but, yeah uh, yeah wow well is that is that where it all started the then? were never that big <laughs> is it was is that where it all started then was uh the, the uh theatrical department at ohio state uh, well, it started before then. I was a professional child actor. Oh, was, what did you do as a child? A child star. Otherwise, we'd be having this conversation in rehab. <laughs> what did you do? What did you do as a child? HBO now about child stars. Uh, all of them are much younger than I am. But <laughs> so they were they were children when I was already an adult. But it's hysterical to see. I mean, that what, what they what they went through is compared to what I went through. But uh, I went. Mine was experience was great. What kind but, of stuff uh, uh, did you do as a child? I did commercials and I did a lot of summer stock and musicals. I never went to Broadway. And I wasn't a child for very long because I was heavy and I had a deep voice. And I was like born 40. I looked older. So I was, <laughs> I was always competing for roles with, with like, you know, mature actors. Yeah. And I never could play kids parts. And, you know, and, unless it was some company that was like, really, really uh, down on their luck and they couldn't cast anybody. And they would, they would tell them, maybe we can get away with this. Maybe we can put him in as, uh, you know. We'll slide as, him in. No one will know. The butler. So what. <laughs> that, uh, that happens sometimes. What was, what was your big, uh, what was your big break then once you got out of college? I, I, uh, I got to think that you got well, right you know, after in it. In college, right? I, had a, I had a journalism and a theater degree. Okay. I had a yin and a yang. Because my parents kept pushing me, saying, "Get something that you know that that you a fallback Get you can make you can living use. on." Because newspapers will never go away. <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, who knew the short sighted the internet would be coming? Well, wow. anyway, so I had both. So I uh, I got a job at the Chicago Tribune uh, as a feature writer covering show business and reviewing things. And um, uh, I was uh, also acting on the side doing commercials and stuff up there. And I met Bette Midler in Chicago, who was uh, uh, on Broadway and Fiddler on the Roof. And she came to Chicago to play a nightclub. And I, I knew her manager. And he asked me to write about her if I liked her. And she was fabulous. So I wrote about her. And she thought, she said, that was a very funny column. Uh, you're, you're a funny writer. And I said, well, you, you're funny. You should talk more on stage. <laughs> and she said, you got any lines? And that was that was fifty years ago. Wow! And uh, we, I started working with her, and as a result, as a writer, I um, I got a lot of work. I got a lot of work from people who wanted, uh, who liked what she was doing, and people who passed through town who I interviewed in Chicago. And after five years of that, and after writing things remotely, uh, I came out here to do a television series, a short-lived television series. Her. Her dresser had a brother who started a group called the Manhattan Transfer, and they were, uh, I don't know if you know them, but because uh, they're I've either people who really know them or people who say, hmm, who's that? <laughs> they were they were a nostalgia act, and they became a big jazz act, and yeah. they became a big global act. But we put them on television. Uh, we put their act together, and Beth got her manager, and Beth got Ahmed Erdogan to come down and record them for Atlantic. And... Uh, I came out here to do the four episode Manhattan Transfer Summer Show. Wow, and I stayed. <laughs> that was your that was your big thing. Oh, Bette Midler, though, even then she was probably huge, right? Like she, she had, was she's just always starting. been a star, right? She was just starting. Her, her uh, she had, uh, had played the uh, the Turkish Bath, <laughs> and she and she she was doing her first album. Actually. Okay, and you and you've done a lot with her over the years, haven't you? I've, off? Yeah, I've done everything. Pretty you, much. I mean, guys, I midlarized uh, a lot of stuff, and and then all the live stuff I've done. So, do you still talk with her and everything? All the time. Really? Yeah. yeah. I just we just did a thing for her charity in New York because they they couldn't do their big you know spring fundraiser. Yeah. She has a charity called the New York Restoration Project that puts green spaces all over New York City and has rebuilt uh, the Central Park Boathouse and and the uh, the tombs at the at the cloisters. And uh, it's it's become a, it's a thing in New York, and uh, it's become kind of a pet charity of a lot of Park Avenue types, which makes me laugh a lot because <laughs> you know she never was one of those. And uh, um, so we did a virtual. Uh, How did that go? To raise money, it was great because uh, we did a Hollywood Squares, which of course I was on for six years and and was head writer of. So we assembled a bunch of people. To do a Hollywood Squares like uh, hasn't been done. Whoopi and Robert De Niro, Billy Crystal, Sarah Park, Jessica Parker, and Matthew Broderick. Wow, uh, it was amazing. Um, John McEnroe and Patty Smythe, uh, wow. who were friends of Beth's from school, Her, their Ooh. children went to school together. Wow, and Caroline Ray and Judy Gold and uh, that's gonna Tom raise Bergeron. a ton of money, huh? It was great. It was a fabulous thing. We How had a great fun. Time. And uh, and then we had a remote with Tiffany Haddish uh, showing us how to grow our own vegetables. <laughs> She's she uh, boy she is uh, so, Tiffany Haddish is something. Um, Tiffany Haddish is is I have to say I I was going to say a piece of work but she's better than that I mean she's really something substantial I mean she has that character yeah. that she does but um, 
she as a person raised in the foster system who learned to kind of make it on her on her own uh, is incredibly skilled. I mean, she's a gardener. Oh, really? Where this happened, it was all like rooftops in, in tenements and stuff that she grew things. But she really knows her stuff. I mean, she's she's quite an amazing person. Wow. Is she pretty down to earth, though? I mean, she is yeah, big very, time. Absolutely. Really? That's cool. Yeah. But, and she's now she's living with Common, which is something I would like to do. But she's living in Common with Common. So. <laughs> That's he not very is quite common. an elegant gent, I have to say. He was uh, He won an Oscar. And I was uh, he. So I worked with him on the show because they were doing his number on the show. He, he wrote a song uh, that was in the movie Selma, and um, uh, they, they're a great couple. Uh, I don't. Uh, you know what? I I'm probably going to get blasted, but I'm not. I'm I'm not real familiar with Common. I've heard of Common. You know, he's a rapper. I mean, they started as a hip hopper, and uh, and then he kind of spread out. He's an actor. You've seen him in movies, but you probably just didn't realize it was him. Yeah, I see him here. He's a good looking, dude. He's great. He's very good looking. I imagine he gets some work. Comedy. Well, he was in uh, Battleship. You know, he's in pictures like that. He always plays like you know the Black Commander. <laughs> the, There's always well, usually I, you know things have, have have stepped up. Usually, whoever the black character is gets killed off early in the picture, <laughs> and uh, uh, and it's usually the best friend of the hero. And he has ele- he's elevated that a, a great deal. He's now like the guy. He's the guy in charge. He's the authority figure. They, uh, yeah, it's funny how how movie cliches. What do you what do you evolve. think of the uh, what do you think of the current uh, world of movies right now? With I, I want to say I drove by a theater here in Hillbillyville that uh, I want to say it was open. I want you know like maybe there was five cars there, and I want to say they had open signs, but luckily you know, I was driving so are, fast I, mean, I couldn't see. I look at the box office every week, which you know there has been none since March twelfth. But there are a handful of theaters that are open and they're showing old movies. Yeah. And I don't mean like, you know, the Maltese, the Maltese Falcon. They're right. not showing old movies, but they're showing a, a Star Wars, you know, uh, the last three Star Wars movies, something like that. And they're, you know, they're doing a handful of business. People there, there's a, a people have a need to go to the movies. You know, it's kind of like. I think so. What else are you going to do when it's 105? Well, you know, the, the actual move, the reason movie theaters haven't died away uh, before the pandemic is because they fulfill a social function. You know, people always want to go and be scared in a, in a big dark room with strangers and, and they can scream and carry on because they don't have any of the props that they would have at home around them to comfort them. <laughs> so they can totally in the moment. People love that. Yeah, people true. love to go and cry, you know, and because again, they feel like they're in a safe space where they can let their emotions go. And uh, and people like to date. It's a great place for you know people, you know, to to get your date hot and bothered, well, <laughs> so it's you can work been, out after the show. It's always interesting to uh, when people go on dates at movies because you can't talk, which maybe no, some, you, you maybe some dates that's you, beneficial. You are close, and, and and it's dark. Yeah, and so you know, comes a love scene, you can make a move. Hey now, now we're talking. I, <laughs> this has been movie going tips with Bruce Baby. <laughs> with Minneapolis, your local drag queen. I'm telling you, we, uh, uh, have you, have you, you've done some stand up comedy, right? Like, have you ever uh, toured and all that? I do sit down comedy. I mean, I tell stories. I'm not a club comic. So what, so do you, I, what does that uh, mean? I play places like theaters and colleges and places where they're coming to see me. 
they're not going to yuck yucks to see comic number 43 <laughs> get up and talk about Asian drivers, although you can't do that anymore. No, but that was that was what those clubs were like. And, yeah. Uh, so uh, I I did I've done a couple of those just to see how they would go, and I don't have to do anymore. It's not what I do. But I was I've been in Minneapolis. I did hairspray in Minneapolis. I was at oh, the really? Turnblad at the Orpheum Theater for three weeks. Ooh, that's a nice some years theater. ago. And I I've been up there to uh, to see shows that the Guthrie friends of mine have been in. And, I was just talking uh, about the Guthrie today. And we shot that we shot a special at the Northrop. In uh, is it Northrop? Yeah. Is that the order? Yep. We shot we shot an HBO show there uh, called Art or Bust. Oh, <laughs> well, and 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 I forty I, years ago. Pardon me. <laughs> I talked about it like we did it yesterday. It was nineteen eighty three. Northrop. <laughs> uh, uh, how do you remember that stuff? I was just listening. To I don't know, podcast. but I'm, I think because I keep adding Schwarzkopf twenty three, and that increases the memory. I don't oh. know. I'm just lucky I have it, and I'm trying to count to uh, to get it all down in a book before it all goes away. That's that's the secret, huh? I um... well, I also kept, I kept journals. You know, I mean, I've I've had uh, I had you know every night I would write something so I would know where I was and what I did. Because you're uh, you would you started what in I'm looking at your IMDb here back in '76. I, I I moved out here in '75 with okay. the transfer. I did some stuff before that, which is probably not on IMDb, and uh, I've been here ever since. Man. And I, I had an agent once who said, you know, you can get rid of the last page of your credits because it's it, you're, it makes you too old. Oh. Because ageism, ageism is the thing. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And my, my manager kept saying to me, oh, you're iconic. <laughs> yeah. So, so Don't worry about it. It didn't bother Rodney Dangerfield. It shouldn't bother you. Yeah. Did you ever meet Rodney? I worked with Rodney. Oh. Wrote for Rodney. Tell me now, uh, how was that? Uh, well, he would show up. He would. He he'd be uh, he'd come to a meeting. He would drive up in his Cadillac, get out of the car in his bathrobe and carpet slippers, <laughs> and and come into the office, and sit there with the bathrobe open, and uh, and he was hilarious. I mean, he was uh, he was. He was a, a genuine guy. I mean, he was, uh, unlike a lot of people in the business, he was genuinely giving. I mean, he, he, when he, he got big and opened the clubs, he always showcased new people. He showcased Roseanne before anybody did. And, and, and Jerry Seinfeld, a lot of those people started at Dangerfields. Yeah. They were their, their earliest gigs. So he was really very, and he wasn't like an absentee landlord. He was there and he was working with you and he was encouraging you. So he was, he was the real deal. He was, was he always he on? Was genuinely like, eccentric. And I, he enjoyed a cocktail. <laughs> was he always on? Like always. Rotten? No, you know, a lot, it's interesting you ask because a lot of those guys who are who have extreme stage personas, uh, have to do them in public because they're expecting it. People are expecting it, but that's not who they really are. And in the course of an evening with, with Rickles or um, with Jackie Mason or with Dangerfield, uh, you'll be sitting at dinner and they'll be talking, they'll be saying, and that's what I think, you know, the problem with Vietnam was isn't that, and then somebody will come over and say, oh, Mr. Dangerfield, you know, and they'll say, I don't, what do you want from me? I don't get no respect. <laughs> Suddenly we'd go into the character, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's good to see. It's good to know. And that's that's why they uh, tend to say all comics have a dark side. And because 
what they mean is when they're their real selves, they can express their real feelings yeah. as opposed to the ones that they have adopted for their, their right. professional personality. Sure. Sure. Well, and I, 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 I don't know. I, Rodney's just a legend. It's the, it's really cool. I'm, I'm looking at your, uh, you, you, you've met everybody. Barry Manilow special. Come on. Well, Barry was Bet's piano player. Uh, oh, when we, when we started, uh, Barry was, uh, Actually, the, Barry's first gig was the first night at the Continental Baths, which was a gay bathhouse. But, uh, it was just a long story, but there was a nightclub next door and the plumbing was mixed up with it. It was in one very old building. And so they threw in the nightclub at, to the gay bathhouse. So the guy who ran the gay bathhouse said, go through this door and there's a nightclub. And of course, it was 123 degrees in there. <laughs> but uh, that was why he got it, because they couldn't fix the plumbing. So... Everybody would sit in towels and people would perform. And Bette was performing there, but her piano player came down with mono. Remember mono? Oh, yeah. It was a quaint, a quaint little disease yeah, compared to what's going on now. Yeah, a small little disease. Mononucleosis. And he gave, he, uh, he gave her Barry's number. And she had rehearsed once with Barry or for an audition, so she knew it. And Barry came down like uh, in a flash and uh, played the, the opening night show. And looked around at all these guys in towels, was like, what's going on? Of course, he really knew, but he was he was under deep cover then. Yeah, yeah. He was undercover for a out. long time, wasn't he? He was out. He was what? Uh, he was in the closet forever because, yeah. you know, uh, this is America. And when you sing a love song, people want to know who you're singing it to. And so he stayed in the closet. Johnny Mathis stayed in the closet for 150 years because... Uh, we weren't prepared for that. All the all the pop singers who came out were British: George Michael, Elton John. Yeah, they, because it was it was different, it's different yeah. there, and, uh, and and here it's much churchier. And uh, that's interesting because so, you think it would be more widely I mean, accepted. So so Barry and Barry uh, played on her first album and produced some of it, and um, so he was so uh, when he when he transitioned. And he was always he had a record deal on the bubble when we when I met him and when he got the deal uh, and he had to go out and tour his first record we put his act together his first act and then Mandy happened off that first album and suddenly he was a star wow. suddenly he went from playing hundred seat clubs to playing six thousand seat arenas it was massive wow that's yeah. cool and, and and then you jumped into the Brady Bunch. Yes, well, you know, one does, but one must. I came out here. The transfer was a very hip act, and I had a lot. Yeah, I had a lot of. Uh, we had great reviews and no numbers, and and uh, people people said, "Oh, Ben Midler and Manhattan Transfer," and you know, and I at that time was writing for Richard Pryor and George Carlin and Oh shit, uh, Lily Tomlin and a lot of very hip people, and um, uh, and so people said, you know, no, he's he's. I couldn't get work, you know, in, in variety. They said, well, he's too hip for us. He's just going to, you know, he's, he's not going to get our rhythm. And so uh, Florence Henderson was a friend of mine oh. from Broadway. She was a Broadway actress. And she was out here because she'd married a guy who uh, ran, was one of the Schubert organization guys. And they opened the Schubert Theater in L.A. And he came to run it. And so she was out here with him and their four kids. And... Um, they came to her with the Brady Bunch and she didn't know if it was what would happen or, you know, but she always had this kind of wholesome image. She never let on to how hip she really was. And uh, so she took the job and who knew it would turn into the Brady Bunch. So 
when the, when the Brady Bunch Variety Hour was born, she said, come write the Brady Bunch. No one will ever say you're hip again. <laughs> <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> they, uh... I went and I did the Brady Bunch, and that led to everything else. And the Brady Bunch was only like nine episodes. Wow. And it was what it, it, it lives because of the internet, like everything else. All the things that you thought you were buried and, and got, were gone forever resurface like zombies. They come out of the ground, <laughs> the internet. And they, hey, remember and they this? never go away. Yeah. I, uh, I could only imagine. I see on here that you, uh, the, the, the Cheech show. Did you work with Cheech Mary? Yes. I love him. Cheech and I, we had the same lawyer, actually. And so uh, when Tommy Chong uh, retired, sort of, to smoke dope and, and do whatever he did, I think he was growing, um, Cheech was on his own. And we sold a, a show to NBC uh, where he was Cheech. He was a character named Cheech from East L.A., and he was a gardener. And he would go into Bel Air and Beverly Hills and work with these stars, and, and there would be a guest star on each episode. Did it and ever get on? Did it ever come out? We we shot three episodes, Willie Nelson, Jack A, Jackie Harry, and we were about to shoot the third one. We didn't shoot the third one, I don't think. Um, and the Writers Guild went on strike. Oh. And the network canceled the show, and that was that. The Cheat Show. And it was great. And I, I, was, uh, I got to be in drag. Uh, for the, uh, professionally, for the, for the first time on television, I was... Uh, uh, a, a regular, I was a character, a gossip columnist named Luella Fella. Luella Fella. Luella Fella, who actually was a trans character. And, uh, but, you know, we never, we never developed it. And I never, I never make a big deal about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> because you, with trans people, I was the first trans character. Excuse me so much. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, but nobody the, got to say, actually, the, we had the first two episodes of the show, we got huge numbers. We had great ratings. Oh, really? Yeah, well, we they, had great, Cheech but we couldn't deliver any more following. shows, and so they canceled it. And it was one of the, this was a strike that ran on for six or eight months. I forget. Yeah, well, I've Cheech been and Chong had a huge following, and you never get, you never win. No, no, you never win. So. Well, and and I see on here, did you work with Elvis? No, I never worked with Elvis. I uh, I met Elvis, but I never worked with. Oh, I did I a, an Elvis tribute special in Nashville, in Memphis, in in the Pyramid. Um, I was sometime when, when Lisa Marie was married to Michael Jackson, that's when, when it happened. It was during that period. Did you work with her then? I worked with her on the show. Yeah. But, she seems they, like she but might Priscilla, be her mother was, uh, the, uh, it was a very weird thing because my understanding was, uh, Priscilla and the divorce got a payout and Lisa inherited the ownership of everything Elvis. Yep. So essentially, Priscilla went to work for Lisa. Yeah, well, and they they both seem like they might come with baggage. Well, I don't know how you say uh, that. Well, Lisa was a Scientologist, which was what Michael Jackson, the wedding, that marriage was all about. It was yeah. a Scientologist wanting to control the Elvis catalog as well as Michael's catalog. And Michael had owned a lot of the Beatles music. Yeah. So there was, that was what that was. But anyway, it resulted in this uh, Elvis tribute special. I don't know what we were saluting. Um, Could have been. What okay. event it was hinged on. Because I, what did, do you know, does it say what year it was? Yeah, it was 94. 94. I don't know. Well, he'd been dead for you know, almost 20 years. Yeah. 
So uh, uh, I don't know what it was we were celebrating, but it was a great show. Yeah, Uh, it was. It was. You know, um, I forget who was on it. I forget. I remember Stamos because I flew with him. We we flew back and forth. Melissa Etheridge was on it, and uh, a lot of terrific people. And I had a great time doing it. What did you uh, uh, What did you think of Richard Pryor? Well, he was he was wonderful, sweet, and gentle. And then he would do some drugs and go out of his mind. And I would always, I would kind of retreat at that point. But he was uh, brilliant and intuitive and uh, a, a very, very sweet and humble, humble guy. Yeah. And, and insanely funny. Yeah. But he, he had, you know, he had world-class demons. And I mean, I wrote for him for television. I wrote, he wrote for himself, but he had, there were people who wrote, Paul Mooney was a guy who wrote a lot of stuff for him. He was a comic in his own right. And uh, Marsha Warfield, who was on the show with him, who's still around. But um, I was very fond of him. Yeah, was, I, uh, everybody has good things to say about him, that's for sure. Yeah. Except for the I mean, bad. he was not Except always for the bad a guy on, running down the street on fire. That's not who <laughs> he was every night at 11. Man. You know, he was, he was, that was an exceptional thing. But he was, you know, he was loaded and he was uh, he, crazy at times. So... Tell me now, you were, <laughs> what did you do on this uh, Sandler movie, Zohan? Were you in that? I'm in, the, <clears throat> yes, I'm in the last scene. Uh, have you seen the movie? Oh, gosh, just bits are and pieces. An, are you an Adam Sandler fan? Ah, Happy Gilmore was good. <laughs> Pardon me, well, the Zohan is an Israeli. Oh, wait, like, that's not, is that Adam Sandler? That's not Happy Gilmore, that's. Yeah, no, it's Happy Gilmore. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, that one, and then there's one other one I like. But the, uh, dodgeball's good. <laughs> um, is he in that? No, He's I'm a, thinking of the other Happy one. Who's Gilmore the other one? And, uh, um, uh, the, the, uh, Buddy Madison, something. Uh, Billy Madison. Hey, speaking no. of uh, Adam. He, I mean, he's been on a, a lot of big movies. But in the, the Zohan, he plays an Israeli who's like a Secret Service agent from the Mossad, who's a hairdresser in, in Queens. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, uh, the, the, the KKK is after him and the uh, head of the KKK is Dave, Dan, uh, Dave Matthews of the Dave Matthews. Oh, really? Band. Yeah. And cause they were, they're great friends and, uh, he wanted to act <laughs> in the last sequence. There's something about, uh, beagles, beagle puppies that have the message or something in the chip and whatever. So there's an explosion and he, Dave Matthews and uh, this cage full of beagle puppies that he's got are blown into the Greenwich Village apartment of me and George Takei. <laughs> we are a gay couple, of course, and Dave Ma- we're on the couch watching TV and the puppies and Dave Matthews arrive between us. <laughs> and we're just excited that this hot guy with these beagle puppies has... You know, suddenly appeared. Him, you know, oh my! Oh my God! You have beagles. Barry Manilow has beagles, and he does. And uh, and that's all it is. It's that. It's it's one scene. It's about a minute. Did you do any writing on that? It one? was a reshoot. They were reshooting the ending, and uh, uh, so we went down. He was doing. He was shooting another movie on the other stage. A picture called Bedtime Stories, mm-hmm. and uh, with the same director, I think, with uh, with um, Vince Van Patten. Or Jimmy Van Patten, or one of the Van Patten kids. Who be, uh, no, it wasn't him. It was somebody else. Never mind. So you just acted um, in that? You didn't write or anything? 
Did what? You didn't do any writing on that or anything? You just acted in? Uh, well, I wrote our scene <laughs> with me and George. But, uh, it, it, you know, nobody will remember it. I remember the movie for Lainey Kazan's Tush, <laughs> which, which she later told me was a double. Oh. Said, I can show my tuchus on the screen. Oh. So now, now tell me about how this whole Hollywood Squares thing came together. That's such well, an iconic show that. I mean, how many seasons well, it, did they it do? Never, it, it never really gone away, kind of like the Brady Bunch. It was always lingering in the air. <laughs> uh, it was on NBC for 14 years, and wow. then it went off, and then it came back. Yeah, it came back a few years later uh, after Paul died, after Paul Lynn had died. It came back with Joan Rivers as a syndicated show and uh, John Davidson hosting it. And then it came, that was in the 80s, and then in the, in the, the late 90s, King World decided that they should revive it again. And uh, the producers were the uh, the people who had produced Comic Relief, Pat Lee and Bill Moffat, uh, John Moffat. And they uh, they uh, asked me to be the head writer. And uh, then they shopped around for a star, and Whoopi got the center square. Okay. And Whoopi said, well, I, Blanche should host the show. So they thought she was nuts, but they didn't want to piss her off that early. So they tested me. Yeah, you know, this is for the win, Kevin. And they said, "Well, you know, you're not exactly mainstream, uh, but we'd like to put you in a square." So they put me in a square next to Whoopi. Okay. And they thought I think they thought I would tame her, but they didn't realize I had been writing for Whoopi for years before that, and they didn't realize that she is really a Jewish man and I am really a black woman. Ask anybody who has slept with me, they will tell you. <laughs> and so we had a great time in our squares and we kind of set the tone for the show, which was what people loved about Hollywood squares was it was watching these nine celebrities play with each other. Right. And, and have, you know, be like off duty. And uh, so it was, we were a big hit when we came back on and I was suddenly a famous person because I was on television every night of the week. And, uh, what killed it was who who wants to be a millionaire became the number one show on television, and so King World, which is now defunct, uh, decided to make us more of a game show, and nobody tuned in to watch people win on Hollywood Squares, right? Because they, it wasn't big money, and they it wasn't, and they elevated it to bigger money and big prizes, and tried to make it competitive, and it was, and that kind of killed the flavor of it. And so it, yeah, 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 and eventually got got canceled. Uh-huh. But, uh, but meanwhile, as a result, uh, I was asked to do a whole lot of stuff, and I, and I was approached on Hairspray, and uh, which was I toured for two years, and I toured for a year, and went on Broadway for a year, and I wrote How do you a like book, that? And, you know. So I mean, I became like a celebrity. How do you like that uh, that live Broadway? Uh, you know, got to kill it every night oh, and there's no the retakes. It, it touches an OCD button that oh. you didn't know you had, or I didn't know I had. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I like getting out there every night and doing the, sh- doing the show and seeing what the audience made of it. Cause some of them came to party and some of them were judgmental and, yeah. and it was fun, you know, but I mean, hairspray is a big, a big old up. I mean, from the moment it starts, it's it's a fabulous ride, and it's it's jovial and high spirited. You know, if I were Vanessa Redgrave and I had I did Medea and I had to kill my children and drag the corpses around the stage eight <laughs> times a week, I might be a darker person. <laughs> but it was fun to get up and drag an iron and and 
you know, she had a metamorphosis. She starts as a real slob and winds up as this glamour puss. So I had, I had a squad that jumped me every time I came off stage. So being on stage was, was easier than being off stage. Wow. That's cool. Is that the only one you've done uh, on Broadway? That's the only one I've done on Broadway. Yeah. I've done a lot of other places, but on Broadway, I've been, there've been. Uh, I almost went back a few times, but things didn't happen. But you know, that's show business. Yeah, right, right. What uh, What are you working on now? What's What's the latest greatest? Well, uh, I, I wrote a. I, <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm zooming and streaming, and everything you do now. I mean, nice thing about this: a writer in a pandemic is a writer can write. An actor can't really act, and a director can't really direct, but a writer can write. So I'm writing a, the book. I wrote a musical um, uh, with a collaborator that we're actually sold. We're, we're gonna. It's going to be done next. Well, if there's ever theater again in this century, it's going to be done uh, allegedly next next spring uh, in Florida, and then we'll see what happens to it. And uh, I'm writing something, uh, a thing that uh, for Netflix, which may or may not happen. And, yeah, um, like a, like you know, a, like one I, of their... one of those uh, sort of a mini. It's a mini series, you know, one of those eight series things. Which, if it works, uh, it will never be Tiger King. Yeah. <laughs> oh. it's not a reality. It's it's partial reality. It's based on a real thing, but it's not. Uh, so do not. you write that and and put it together and then go to them, or or do they come to you? How does that work? I went, we went to them. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about Netflix is they, they, they're the network of the shiny object because they have to drop something every week to keep stoking the machine. Because especially now people are home and they're 24 seven Netflixing and they, and you know, other, the other Titans have caught on. So now there's Peacock and Disney plus and uh, Amazon and all they have. So they've got competition. All of that being said, they just pub- they released a, a, a statement this morning talking about how their <laughs> their 2020 so far has been 10 times what their 2019 yeah, was. Right, right. I was just going to look but up that, that actual but number. But that is fueled by new product. You know, that when you when you when you drop eight episodes on people on a Friday on Monday, they're saying, "What else you got?" Well, and I think it's also fueled by. You know our low on un- our our our, well, our unemployment numbers being at an all time well, high. Yeah, no of can course, leave the people house. being at home. But, but the point is, they, there is a tremendous hunger over there for product. Well, that's and good, they though. have a lot of money, so but, they can spend the money on the product. Well, and and but so I, have I noticed, took advantage of that. <laughs> I watch a lot of uh, I watch a lot of podcasts on uh, YouTube. Um, yeah, and and YouTube and Netflix are kind of you know what else you need at this point. I've but I have trouble though. Porn. Like, wow, well, that's true. Porn. That's true. I'm falling in love. I go all over again with porn stars long dead. <laughs> it's a nostalgia trip. You know, I'm, I'm an older bride. Right, right, so right. I, uh, you know what? Me. I didn't think of that. That's a good point. I think, uh, well, YouTube's starting to slide commercials in and um, obviously have the membership with Netflix, but the numbers they were talking about were ridiculous this morning i don't remember what they were but uh what's interesting to me right this minute is peacock because peacock has has addressed what, what you're talking about peacock is nbc universal's stream i see you're typing yeah yeah, so, yeah. um it and it's it's fueled by a lot of nbc reruns and stuff everything but friends which is exclusive someplace else 
but the um, they have three tiers of membership. You can get it for free if you if you're willing to, to put up with commercials. Right. So it's like basic cable and premium cable. They've adopted that to the streaming system. So they give you the option. You can get it free or you can get it with limited commercials or you can get it with no commercials. Wasn't that what Hulu does? Premium. I, I'm not aware. Is that, I do that. I, I, didn't think Hulu, I think actually I'm on, I'm on, I bought Hulu early and when they only had the one option. So oh, I get it with no original. commercials. But I know I've. Uh, when I go to get the nails did, I've noticed that they have Hulu on all the time and it's, uh, their commercials. On. They do. Uh, I think actually if I wasn't so cheap, I could upgrade my YouTube account and not watch commercials too. But yeah, I, that's true. I mean, I have, I have basic YouTube. I've, I've never really explored. It's like YouTube. 12 bucks. I'm not spending 12 bucks. I'll watch the commercials. Uh, well, you know, I mean, they're making a lot of money off of me because they, they, they put everything whenever if you appear anywhere and there's a camera recording you, it shows up on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I know with my podcast, I put stuff up on there. Um, you know, usually we just do the uh, audio, but then like this, I'll put this up because uh, we're doing the video. Um, but boy, they, you know, if you have any second of any song or anything, boom, they pick up on that like in a second. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, I mean, and I've used that. I mean, I've gone to see things on YouTube, so uh, uh, but I haven't paid because I haven't upgraded to whatever, right? Whatever you would get if you upgrade on YouTube. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I can't speak to it. So you keep uh, you keep bringing up this book. Are you in the middle of a book write or what? I am actually. I'm writing a book about how I wrote the uh, the worst television shows in history and and lived <laughs> and lived to tell Brady Bunch is among the collection what uh, <laughs> uh what which ones don't i know about like what well you probably don't know the, the star wars holiday special which Ooh. was famous Ooh. and the, the paul lind halloween special <laughs> which was famous these are cult items and uh, they they again are among the things that that I did, and I assumed were dead and buried. And the internet unearthed all of them. Yeah, well, that's you, how you, you get a cult following. You can't escape. And what what every time there's a a reiteration of something that it's based on. Every time there's a Brady Bunch movie or any a Brady. A, I just did the uh, the very Brady renovation. Oh, show yeah. on on HG where where they built, bought the house and they turned it into the Brady house, and I was on it. The, um, <laughs> every time that happens, all of the other stuff I did comes bubbling forth. Man, and uh, same with you know Star Wars. Every time George does a new Star Wars picture, somebody you know irately starts in on the screed about the Star Wars holiday. <laughs> He's done his level best to 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 destroy. Are you getting uh, uh, any residuals on those? <laughs> Uh, no, after, well, no, it was 40 years ago. So, uh, <laughs> those, sadly they run out or they, oh. or they come down to, to pennies oh. where it costs more to cash them. The yeah. stamp, the stamp, yeah, more get it to you. than you're actually getting from the, uh, that's and, very true. You know, the imp of the perverse says, ah, let me just, let me fuck up their books. Let me not cash this check for 19 cents. <laughs> we'll just hold it. I, uh, yeah. Uh, what what was it like working on the comic relief stuff? It was fabulous. We did 12 years of it. And uh, uh, at, the, at the beginning, it was very noble because thanks to Ronald Reagan, there were homeless people on the streets all of a sudden because he dismantled the welfare system Yeah, uh, while he was the great communicator. <laughs> and uh, so uh, 
the comics responded by doing this thing. And, it, you know, it, it, HBO was also looking for a signature special for them uh, at the time. So it, it, it meshed well. And, of course, we made a lot of money and a lot of homeless people were helped. But the problem didn't go away. The problem continued getting worse under subsequent administrations. And a lot of other stuff happened. And, you know, the uh, fatigue sets in. People get tired of, oh, oh. You mean you haven't cured that yet? Yeah, right. You're doing another one of these things? So the last one we did was for Katrina. And we did it in New Orleans and Las Vegas, actually. Um, and uh, and then uh, Billy Robin and Whoopi said, you know, we're kind of, we're done with this. If you want to bring it back, you should have three younger people hosting it, younger comics, and we will make an appearance. Uh, thinking that might save it. Yeah, but uh, HBO, the guy at HBO who had, who had greenlit it originally left, and uh, HBO wasn't in the mood to keep it going because it was a sliding scale. You know, it's a, eventually it's diminishing returns. But it raised and, a lot of money, didn't it? Oh, it raised a fortune. It raised hundreds of millions. Yeah, it, it raised a lot of money, and it was the kind of thing that was, <clears throat> even though, especially when the internet came in, it was. Uh, uh, it was it was available all the time, so they so comicrelief.org could continue putting stuff out there and getting money in. So money was coming in all the time. It was a good thing. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun because it was all of these comics carrying on. Uh, I mean, really having a good time with each other and yeah. everybody. I mean, I mean, you know, comics are always there to score, but um, nobody, everybody was happy to be there, and they were all coming up with material that was for this particular occasion. So it was it was fun to work on and and fun to watch people do what they did. Did you do stand up on it that? Was or one, of the, you... one of those rare moments where it wasn't wildly competitive, which it usually is. Well, and there's some big hitters on there: uh, uh, Billy Crystal and Robin uh, Williams. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I, Robin I, Williams. It was. I, yes. I, I've heard of him. He uh, he's another one that had to be just a trip to be uh, in the same room with incredible. He was the sweetest guy, sweet, warm, wonderful. And again, in public, he was himself. And then he would be he would be rock and Robin when when somebody would approach because that was required. And uh, he had, you know, he had a lot of demons. He had a lot of drug problems and, and he had overcome a lot of that. And then he got legitimately sick. Yeah. And he uh, he couldn't handle being legitimately sick. And then much later, we found out that he he had this unusually rare disease, that, uh, this unusually rare form of depression, that, that which suicidal impulses are a, a, a primary symptom. And uh, it, it was a, a, a thing nobody knew existed. Yeah. What a until shame. Until right before... Uh, he had it right before it was discovered that he had it. So it was, it was a awful thing. What a bummer. What, uh, what do you, uh, think of uh, the younger generation of comics? Are they, uh, carrying the torch on? I follow a lot of comics pretty closely and you do a lot of the hot ones you, right, right now. Who do you like? Cause I, I never know who to say. But. Oh, you know, right now I'm on a, I'm on a, uh, Burt Kreischer, uh, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm really a big, uh, P Corielli guy. Um, wow, you know all these guys. I know Sebastian Manikowski, I know who he is, but uh, yeah. Well, and the rest of them are kind of uh, well. And he 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 went from like his trajectory was just ridiculous. You know, he went from working uh, tables at the uh, Four Seasons to selling out arenas. 
you know, you're talking in 10 years, you know, it's yeah. crazy. But the rest of these guys are all well, just uh, Dane Cook, the same thing. Yeah, there you because, go. Because, uh, and he may have something in common with Dane Cook in that he's, he's can we, we can swear on this podcast. Oh, correct? you can say whatever you want. But he's, they're fuckable. Yeah. You know, you find a con, there are very few comics who are fuckable. Yeah. And so anybody who kind of puts out that a sexual, a sexual vibe is, is going to get a lot of interest. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, um, you know, so they do. I probably wouldn't be a very good he's, comic. He's fan. also married with kids, and so a lot of his stuff is relatable to a broader audience than yeah. just, um, you know, than than than, than a narrow audience. He does a uh, audience. <laughs> he does a podcast with uh, Pete Corielli, and uh, Pete Corielli writes for uh, you know a bunch of shows. Does a lot of stuff with Kevin uh, James, but uh, right. I you know I think he's quicker wit. He's a funny dude. <laughs> Where Sebastian's I, more animated, I think uh, Mulaney is an, an amazing. Yeah, I mean he's my my current favorite because he's smart and witty, and there's something I love oddballs. There's something just off. Yeah, about his view of the world, which I which appeals to me, and he's also fuckable. So he's uh, <laughs> uh, so as a it result, seems to be a reoccurring theme. You know, he sells out Radio City for a week. I mean he's. Yeah. What about what about a comic relief? Maybe uh, maybe we do some pandemic money and uh, bring a lot of the uh, younger kids along. Uh, fine. I'm, I'm not producing it. <laughs> I'm out. So, I'm out. Gagelson to hey, go with God, young man. Yes, I uh, no, I forgot. I forgot all about the comic relief thing. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. That you were. Did you do any uh, uh, stand up on it, or did you just produce it and, no. and write it? Uh, that I just, I wrote, yeah. that was like, uh, there were, you know, too many you know people who do stand up every night yeah and who were, who were known. Uh, I, but I did write a lot of stuff for people like, you know, we would have someone like Fran Drescher who now has actually has a stand up act, but then she didn't. Then she was just a nanny. So yeah. we, we had her on, I mean, in her Fran Drescher character, which is kind of like the nanny uptown, is that what you know, she's the nanny now? with money. <laughs> is that what she's doing now is stand up? Uh she put her toe in it. She's not really doing it, but she I've seen her do it. She did a few a few gigs. She's done a few benefits and then she acted in a few gigs just to see how she liked it. And I don't know that she liked it all that much because she doesn't need to do it, but uh, uh she's very caught up in her in Cancer Schmancer, which is her her uh, charity. And so she's doing a lot of that. And she had she's had a couple of series since the nanny that haven't worked. You know, okay. one with uh, one that uh, with the gay uh, with about about a woman who has a gay ex-husband. One was about just the Fran character in another situation. They they just haven't worked. So, oh. but I I think she's uh, she, she's always cooking up something. That's interesting. I yeah. Someday I'll uh, I may put my toe in the water. I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I got uh, too much yeah. other crap going on right now. <laughs> Really? <laughs> well, I think I would, I think I would like it too much, and and I I don't have the time to. I got, what do I have? Two college kids and a fourteen year old, so it's just not in the cards well, right you know, now. Exactly. You. Someday when I grow up, maybe I'll uh, I'll uh, dive into that. Well, uh, listen, arena. Rodney didn't start till he was late. Good. I, mean, I think Rodney said he was forty when he started, or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I forget. I forget his story. Well, you have to have a li- you have to have a little life experience. So you got something to work with. I um... well, I agree. Unless you're 
you know, really brilliant and, and a, a real comic genius. And you can take whatever is happening to you when you're 19 and, and parlay it into something. Yeah. I, and, uh, and there are people I've seen, although I couldn't tell you who off the top of my head who, who have that. But yeah. uh, I think. I agree. You do have to have a little bit of perspective. Well, and I've been keeping a, I've been keeping a log. I've got a little journal of, uh, you know, I, I got at least 30 minutes of crap that I don't know, could just be played with, but all the comedians, uh, like local comedians that I've had on my show. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. That, uh, are, was are, are there away. places there that, uh, you, where you can work out? Uh, Acme, uh, Acme. And then Rick oh, Bronson's yeah. got, uh, the house of comedy at the mall of America. Um, oh. yeah. Well, you know, the thing of it is, if you want to, uh, uh, if you want to be that kind of a comic, if you want to be a club comic and there's nothing wrong with it. And that's where the big money is. If you make it, yeah. Um, you have to work it out somewhere. You have to get up on a stage and be able to just see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, are you known in, in the twin cities? Are you like a, a, a local celeb? No, not as much as I, not as much as uh, I'd like to be. That's for sure. I've right. done some because morning radio. If you, and... if you do, you have a head start on anybody else who's in that club. Oh, know? for if sure. Audience, a portion of the audience would undoubtedly know you. Well, and we're going to get there. We'll get there eventually. It's uh, it's interviews like this that are going to blow our numbers through the roof. Uh, Baby. Sense it. <laughs> I uh, No, we've been doing the podcast for about a year and a half, and I do some uh, commercial voiceover work, and then and then I have a real job that funds this whole train. Um, but it's, you know, it's fun. I, I have a blast with it. I get to meet cool people and, and, you know, just, uh, see what else is going on in the world outside of, uh, you know, the, the flyover state here and, and what, uh, what's, uh, uh, the craziness with the pandemic and with everything, everybody's available all of a sudden. So it's kind of nice. I know we're all sitting at home. And the, the nice thing about these is that, uh, you ask questions and it, dredges up memories and things that mm -hmm. uh, I forgot I had. And of course they'll all go in the book. <laughs> there you go. When are we releasing this book? Who knows? I got to write it and then we got to make a publishing deal. And I was, oh, I, what I should have asked is you're, how you're, long is, you're, you're taking up the flood. You're at the very beginning. Uh, I was gonna say, how long we've been working on it. It, it, uh, it should write itself. You've been uh, enough places and, and been involved in a lot of, a lot of I'd pay shows. it if it would write itself. I'd pay it. Really? Write it. Write it, your, write it yourself. Can yeah. you do that? Can you just dictate it to someone and they'll write it? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm a writer, and so I don't. I don't. I've never written that way. Um, and there are people who have. You know, Sidney Sheldon, who wrote uh, "Other Side of Midnight." And I mean, and like uh, twenty, but and uh, he write. He would dictate every day. Yeah. He would dictate into a tape recorder, yeah. and then the next day, the assistant would come with the transcript, and he would edit it and redo it that way, and then <clears throat> dictate some more into the tape recorder. And uh, uh, it's it's certainly it's done. James Patterson writes an outline, a treatment, he calls it, and hands it over to somebody else. That and that person gets credit now. Every every newer James Patterson book has a share because well, he's he's only pumping out like one a week, isn't he? I mean that guy. At least, yeah, I think that's. But is that how he does it? He comes up with the concept and the outline, yeah. and then gives it to an underling. But, but what does Stephen King do? He also pumps them out. Is he sitting in that lighthouse just doing nothing but churning out fantasies? <laughs> I just, I, he's his he's prolific beyond imagination. Yeah. 
Well, I, some people yeah. can do it. I, you know, I'm not, I can't write. I'm, I know that was just never, I mean, I can write, but I'm, uh, I, I'm not, I'm too social. I'm not going to go isolate myself like a Stephen King character in the cabin so I can get hobbled by the nurse. Um, you got to commit. Uh, that, You're not going to commit. Not, that's not how I live my life. Some people, <laughs> some writers really do live a monastic existence. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exist, and they're, they're, they're possessed by their work and, uh, you can't get them away from it. And they, they produce good stuff. So, well, and, and if it's flowing and it's working, it's great. You know, it's the yeah. same thing with it, like podcasts like this, you know, if it's, it, I, I've had some where you're just like, you know, can we just have a technical difficulty and I'm going to bail out, you know, like there's some, but then, then it's funny. Cause the ones that you think are going to be the, the sleepers are the ones that really do well, you know, but it, it when it flows, it flows. So if you're a writer and it's working yeah. Why not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, often, I mean, sometimes I will be on, on, a, on a phone conversation and I'll, we'll get onto a subject and I'll talk stuff, which I realize is I could use as material. Yeah. And so once I'm done, I, I turn it into material. I sit down and actually write. So you it. just have books but, everywhere? Journals? Well, yes, I have. Well, now it's all, you know, in the cloud. Oh. But I used I had journals. I had handwritten journals, some of which I lost in a flood. Uh. But then we we found them and like to restore. But um uh yeah, I always have. I've always kept Wait. That's and, cool. and I'm glad I did. Not that they're you know brilliant or that I would share them, but like Noel Coward's diaries, which I've read, are amazing. I mean, he really you know, but uh People did that more in those days. Yeah. They sit down and write. I mean, because they grew up in a in a culture where you wrote letters and nobody writes letters anymore. They fire off Twitter, Twits, Blogs, uh. or email or something like that. So, yep. I mean, I'm one of the few people who will actually write an email that's like a letter. Well, old school. Say, you know, I'm an older bride. I'm I, from the greatest generation. No, no, I'm not. I'm a boomer. I think if I. Uh, yes, thank you, boomer. I'm think- a boomer. <laughs> I think if I could go back and I keep telling my kids this, like the strongest asset you can have is being able to write so that you could, you know, send an email or pen a letter that, you know, very clear, decisive, you know, and I just can't, it's not my thing. I'd rather, I'd rather talk about it than write it down. Although I do have, um, the notes for, you know, cause I think it's, it's good when you come across things that are just like, that's funny. And you, you got to write it down, you know, otherwise, yeah, sure. you know, the old out the memory gone. Listen, the real comics who work every night, like Judy Gold, I, I do a, a show with Judy. We call it Big and Tall. I'm big <laughs> and she's tall. And we're both Jewish and we're both gay. So we have a we have an audience that, that wants to come see us. So we do it periodically. And uh, she is there with the notebook. It is never out of her hand. And she is writing and she is jotting really? down things and all that. And then before she goes on, she is going through the book and uh, organizing things in her head that she's going to do. And it's, uh, you know, I, I hand it to her, but that is what she does. She does, that's every night. She is a club comic who does theaters and stuff like that. She also writes plays. She's written a couple of one woman, one woman plays for herself that that she's done off Broadway. So do you think? I, do you think there's a? The, you think and she has a podcast. Oh, does she really? Is it? Yeah, just, is it just on. gold? 
It's a, I, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Kill Me Now. Wow. <laughs> Kill Me Now. It's not, I think it's on Sirius, and I'm not sure. I, um, I'm going to have to well, It used out. to be on Sirius Q. They used to have a gay channel. I don't think they have that anymore. I think she's on Sirius Fam. I don't know what the hell. I don't get Sirius, so I don't have it. So. Do you think there's a world where we'll get back to uh, like comedy that isn't racially driven or 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 where the where the actors aren't working so hard to be funny i mean i i, I struggle with uh current uh tv show i don't i don't watch a lot of network tv but you know they used to be good sitcoms and they were funny but now it seems like they're trying so hard to be funny that it's like everything's got to be a you know one two one two one two or or it's got to be real you know racial or or whatever and it's like can't it just be funny and and you know what I mean? Like, have you noticed that? I guess I should ask, or is that just me? well? Uh, yeah, I, I've never I've written a lot of sitcom stuff. I've never been a fan of the form, but it's a nice income producer. Yeah, uh, um, and I, I find I find them hard to watch. I mean, a couple of them are really well written. Yeah, the Connors is really well written. The old Roseanne show, but Roseanne when, always was the best written show. When it was Roseanne, or when it was the Connors. Uh, both. I What's amazing is how Rose they've managed Anne. to make it so good as the Connors. I love Rose and Anne, uh, but, but Mom is a really well written. I couldn't. I couldn't watch it after they took her off there. Just seems, oh really? Well, it just seems <laughs> dirty, you know. Like, like all those people were really famous because of her and her show, and then she, you know, goes off the rails. <laughs> and, and well, that's you know. the, that's the problem. Is it's uh, she? They they fired her because she's nuts. Yeah. Well, and but they've was, always known was, she's nuts. It was the only time they could fire her and not have to uh, not have to pay the penalty. Yeah. They they uh, exercised it while they could. Yeah. Because they could see it wasn't going to get any better. Yeah. It was just going to be one incident after another, and eventually they were going to have to pull the plug. And they pulled the plug when it would cost them less to pull the plug. Well, and it's doing okay, right? Like it's still on it's, as the it's ABC's biggest. A comedy show, and uh, yeah, and even as shows go, it, it anchors the evening at eight o'clock for the, for what they now call lean back television. Lean back, lean back television is uh, you sit there like in the old days where you would sit there at uh, and and tune something in after dinner and stay with that channel. So oh. a good example of of the most the most popular example currently is NBC on Wednesdays where you you lean back and watch Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, and Chicago PD. <laughs> and the stories tend to flow into each other because Dick Wolf of Law and Order fame has created all of them. Yeah. And yeah. uh and but that's the lean back audience. It's like let's just see what's happening in Chicago among the uh, first responders tonight. And uh and there you go. Wow. And the Connors anchors some uh some comedy stuff that happens on ABC. So, I mean, I, I think when you talk about racial, that's a separate issue because, uh, because now it'll be difficult to be white and do anything that's perceived as racist. So it'll all be, it'll be whatever the black shows are, or whatever well, they are. The, the there's moment. actually I mean, a now show. Things are like, things are like integrated, like the neighborhood, which is you watch how, how crazy white people are and how crazy black people are. And it's that's the, the gist of the show or Bob Hart's Abishola, which is, I think, a very well written show 
which is about this, uh, you know, standard, this not Archie Bunker, but standard American guy who falls in love with a Nigerian nurse. Right, right. And the, the culture clash, which is really funny and really well handled. And, you know, and I saw her, part of that. Her people get as much time as his people. Okay. I, I, I really, really like really him. Well done. Uh, I really like him. I should probably give it to that one another shot. I didn't, I didn't, I just saw part of it. Um, but I, you know, I rarely watch anything. And if I do, it's something I recorded and then, you know, you miss out on all this other stuff, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I may have to check it out. That's interesting. I, uh, I, uh, I thought that all hope was lost on network TV, but some of the stuff coming out on Netflix and whatnot is good, but I, I don't see a lot of comedy, uh, shows on there. Yeah, uh, there are, but I, I tend not to watch them. And of course, the the trend is uh, towards single camera shows, which are uh, are are shot like movies. Yeah, interesting. They're not. They're not. You know, like uh, they're not like The Big Bang Theory, which was shot in front of an audience. Uh, and they're not like uh, a lot of them on the networks, which are shot like movies, and they have laugh tracks, which is bizarre. Like there, are, like there are people watching this, and there aren't people watching it. Um, there never were. But uh, <laughs> on on the, the streaming services, they, I'm trying to think of, of shows that they have that are like that. But I, I'm not watching them. So yeah, no, I, I, it's a different time. I, you know, I, I'm right here in Minneapolis. We're in the heart of the the shit, and uh, it's ugly. You know, I, 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 and where where they go with uh, the media and the and the TV, uh, it's just crazy. I mean, we are in a different time. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this pandemic thing. They did I ask you in the beginning here? Did they shut California back down now? Uh, not they they are rolled back a bunch of things. It's not totally shut down. But I'm they, supposed to bring my daughter. They rolled out back there. indoor dining and, uh, and and beauty salons and things like that because. Uh, um, I don't know. The numbers told them that that may be where, where things are happening. Yeah. Have you been hunkered down? Or are you uh, getting out at all? I have been. I've been out. I've been out to a couple of socially distanced private dinners. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, otherwise, yeah, I've been, I've, I have been hunkered down here. I drive around every day just to see what the world looks like. Yeah. But, uh, I have been hunkered down. I was thinking, I think the first time I was in Minneapolis, uh, was when the Mary Tyler Moore show was on. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was set in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And they had used, uh, in the opening credits, they had a house that they had shot. Um, and it was Mary's house where she lived with Rhoda and Phyllis. Yeah. And uh, or Phyllis was the landlady, I think. I don't know if she lived there, but Rhoda and Mary each had apartments. And... Uh, the show was, of course, a huge hit. And a few years after it had been on, they went back to they. Their legal team said, "If you want to reshoot anything with that house, we're going to have to ask the, the them their permission, because now the house has become identified." Yeah. So they asked the permission. And they said no. They said <laughs> our life has been made miserable by this. Uh-huh. We have people coming up and and stealing things and taking pictures and and stealing our mail and stealing you know all kinds of stuff. And it was owned by a professor at the university. Oh, of Minnesota. really? And uh, he was quite vehement about it. And they said uh, they said okay, we we won't shoot it. And then 
The network said, we need it. And they, they said, uh, go shoot it anyway. What's he going to do? Sue us? <laughs> he did. So they went up there to shoot it. And somebody leaked it to him that they were going to come and they were going to shoot. Oh, wow. So the, so the day they showed up with, with cameras, the house was painted with a huge thing that said, fuck Mary. <laughs> Mary sucks cock. <laughs> Mary is a douche. I mean, it was the, the lunest graffiti possible. <laughs> and they couldn't shoot him. And so they wound up paying him, paying for the paint job, paying him uh, distress, you know, oh, emotional distress thing. It cost them a lot of money, and they got the shot they wanted. But they had to. They didn't want it anymore, but they had to because it made him look – and it made Mary look like some kind of a piker. So uh, <laughs> they paid. And that was – and I, I went to Minneapolis for the Chicago Tribune to cover the story. Oh, I see. I Yeah, I – you know, it's funny because it may I, not. It may not. I think I had relatives in St. Louis Park, but uh, oh, sure, of that's not far we're, from we're me. Dead. Where else would we be? I've got some and, uh, property in St. Louis Park. Yeah, it's a so uh, uh, that, but I think that was the first time. And then I was there a lot with tours and one, one thing or another. You know, I went. Uh, I took my boys to Chicago to see Joe Rogan, and um, on the way down there, we got caught in traffic, and we just happened to veer off. And the Shameless house, the house they filmed Shameless in, uh, was yeah. right right off the interstate. Yeah. So I'm like, we, you know, traffic's not going anywhere. Let's just pop off and go look at it, you know. Not a great area. Uh, but they had a little sign on the fence that was like, if you want to take your picture here, that's fine, but leave a donation. And I'm like, well, there you go. There you go. And the, and the, and the, the gentleman across the street who must have been off that day were like, Hey, you got a camera? I'll take a picture of you. I'm like, mm, no, we're good. We're going to keep yeah. rolling. <laughs> it right. was not a great area in real world. I don't, I, you know, I don't even know where it is, but. Uh, um, it's just outside I, of Chicago. I look, but, you know, it's kind of like generic neighborhood Chicago. Yeah. So I, I, I never even found out where it was. Yeah. There was a, a house uh, in uh, Beverly Hills up in Benedict Canyon where Raquel Welch lived for, for years. And uh, she left. And the people who bought it had a plaque installed on the, uh, a day glow thing installed on the garage door. It said, she moved. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, uh, they took, uh, the Brentwood house down for, uh, your favorite football star. He, they, they, someone bought it and just tore it down. Orenthal. Yeah. Orenthal's house is gone. Orenthal's house is gone. Yeah. They tore that baby down. It, uh, probably changed the neighborhood cause it would have been the same thing. I mean, I, I drove by it. I, you know, oh yeah. I well, they also the Sharon Tate house was taken down. Not only was the Sharon Tate house taken down, but the address was changed. Oh really? Yeah, because the address was so heavily publicized that yeah. you know, like on Halloween, they would get like witches and cults that would come and bathe the moon at the foot of the driveway. Really? The driveway up to the house. Yeah, I used Ooh, to. Go, I went to that house a few times. Before the the murders, because it was it was and after actually too, because it was owned by a friend of mine, Rudy Altabelli, who was uh, who managed uh, actors and uh, and performers. Well, it's weird that they weren't at home watching the uh, Star Wars Halloween special that you put out. <laughs> no. Well, that was later. Oh. That was seventy seventy eight. That was oh. Thanksgiving weekend of seventy eight. I will never forget it. <laughs> and uh, or seventy, yeah, seventy eight. 
<laughs> and Tate was was August of '69. I know that because I was uh, was I out here. I was out here shortly after wow. that for something for a story for the Detroit Free. Hey, you know, uh, you should write a book. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you just go. Saying. Well, listen, Bruce, we got to wrap this thing up. I could talk to you all, all right. day. And we're gonna uh, we might have to revisit. You don't you don't do a regular podcast, do you? But if they want to go to a website, it's called We Got Bruce. We Got Bruce. We Got Bruce because there was a movie called Get Bruce. Yeah, that was done twenty years ago with all the people I worked with, and it was produced by Harvey Weinstein. Well, who never laid a hand on me. <laughs> Is that good or bad? <laughs> Hashtag Why Not Me. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. <laughs> Dead. Mm-hmm. Harry. <laughs> anyway, all right. Signing off. All right, Bruce. Thank Be you so out. much. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks, man. Bye now. That's it. That's the end. That's a wrap. Read the shtick. That's a wrap for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends. If you'd like to reach out, you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email, thedkprojectpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.